Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, A Glimpse of His Glory. All right, well last week, if you were with us, we were in chapter eight, and Jesus made a statement in chapter eight that was like a bomb that went off. And the, the, the explosion in the ears of the disciples is still ringing now as we turn to chapter nine. And so what was the big bombshell statement that Jesus made last week? Well, remember, they were up in the area of Caesarea Philippi, and the Lord said to them that the Son of Man, the Messiah, has to suffer, has to be rejected, has to be killed, and three days later, rise again. And so that statement shocked the disciples. It sent them staggering, so to speak, emotionally. And here's why. Because the one that they thought was gonna rise and ascend and sit on the throne of Israel and reign over the whole world, you know, kind of like at any moment, just announced his death. And these 12 guys have to be scratching their heads and thinking, what in the world is going on? And so as we begin chapter nine, you need to know that Jesus knew that these guys, especially his leaders, they needed some encouragement. He knew that after speaking about his suffering, rejection, and death, that they needed something to boost their faith and to reassure them that he was, in fact, who Peter said he was last week, and that is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so here's what, what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look in chapter nine. And in chapter nine, Jesus, knowing that the disciples needed to be encouraged, he's gonna do something that's gonna validate his identity. He's gonna do something today that is not only gonna validate that he's the Christ, but it's also at the same time gonna propel three of his disciples to heights they could never imagine. And so today in chapter nine, Peter, James, and John, they're about to have a mountaintop experience. And so look at chapter nine, verse one. We're gonna dig in today, verse by verse. It says that Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there are some, not all 12, specifically three of them, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now that's an amazing statement in and of itself. First one, Jesus is telling his 12 men, they're in the area of Caesarea Philippi, there in Northern Israel. He says, some of you are not gonna die until you see the kingdom of God coming in glory. Now, when would that amazing statement be fulfilled? It's gonna be fulfilled in our passage today. In our passage today, Peter, James, and John, they're gonna get a glimpse of God's kingdom coming in glory. They're gonna get a glimpse of Jesus' glory today. And so look at verse two. It says that after six Days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the inner three, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Okay, stop right there. And so about a week after he dropped the bomb on them and told them the Son of Man's gotta suffer, be rejected, and die, about a week after that, he decides to take his three guys, his three leaders, Peter, James, and John, and they go up a high mountain, Luke tells us, in order to spend some time in prayer. All right, so what mountain did they climb? We believe, um, well we know for a fact that they're in Caesarea Philippi, so we believe it's a mountain in that vicinity. All right, so what mountain is in the vicinity of Caesarea Philippi? And the answer is beautiful Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, 9,232 feet above sea level, located in the northern, northern, northern part of the Golan Heights, right near the Israeli and Syrian border. It has three distinct summits that are capped with snow almost year around. It's the only place by, it's the highest place in Israel. Um, it's the only place in Israel where you can go snow skiing. 
And so the melted snow from this mountain range, this beautiful Mount Hermon that you see, the melted snow from that range, it, it provides the headwaters to the Jordan River. And so if you didn't know this, the Jordan River begins at Mount Hermon, highest point in Israel, flows south to and through the Sea of Galilee, continues to flow south all the way down, not just to the lowest point in Israel, but the lowest point on earth, and that is it empties out into the Dead Sea. If you go with us to Israel, we go every two years. We're going in May. Uh, we're gonna stay in a kibbutz right on the Sea of Galilee. You'll open your door, you'll see the Sea of Galilee. One morning we'll get on our bus, we'll go north. We'll hang out in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus was with his disciples last week. And then we'll take you up to Tel Dan and we'll show you the headwaters of the Jordan River, where the Jordan River begins. And we'll stand back. We won't go snow skiing, but we'll stand back and we'll look at beautiful Mount Hermon. On that mountain, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. All right, as they're hiking up the mountain, we don't know how far up they got. We don't know if they're up in the snow or not yet. But if they were to turn around, I'm sure they did, and look southwest, then they would see the land that God gave, promised to give to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As they turned around and looked southwest, they saw the beautiful promised land. And as amazing as that sight must be, I've never seen it, I've never been up on Mount Hermon looking southwest to this, the promised land, but here's what I know. As beautiful as the promised land must have been, nothing is more beautiful than what the disciples are gonna see right now in the second half of verse two. All right, so look at the, Second half of verse two, it says, and Jesus was transfigured before them. And I think what an awesome privilege, right? What a, a distinct honor that Peter, James, and John actually got to witness the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. As they're going up Mount Hermon, Luke tells us that Jesus was praying and Jesus all of a sudden was transfigured before them, verse, verse three, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And so the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all share this extraordinary story with us. Matthew tells us this. He says that Jesus was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun. Can you imagine that? I want you to try to put yourself in the sandals of Peter, James, and John and try to imagine it. I know it's hard to figure it out uh, how this actually looked, but Jesus' face is shining, kind of like if you were to go out right now, I don't know if the sun's shining, I haven't been out there for a while, but if you were to look up and see the sun, that's his face. And so his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Luke tells us, and Jesus as he was praying, his appearance, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And so as the son is connecting with the father in prayer, his face begins to shine like the sun. His clothes begin to dazzle. That word dazzle in the Greek literally means to flash like lightning. And so whether you're reading Matthew, Mark, or Luke, here's what we know, Peter, James, and John, got a glimpse of the kingdom of God coming in glory. Verse one, they got a glimpse of Jesus' glory. Jesus was transfigured. All right, what does that word mean in the Greek? I'm not gonna try to pronounce the transliteration, but it means to change into another form, to transform. Now stop right there, think about this for a moment with me. To change. What about Jesus changed? Well, what we know his divinity didn't change, right? His divine nature wasn't is perfect. Okay, change connotes some type of alteration. Okay, how can perfect become better? If perfect can become better, it's not perfect to begin with. How can perfect become worse? If perfect becomes worse, that means it was never perfect to begin with. Jesus' divine nature is absolutely eternal and perfect. It did not change. What changed? His human appearance. 
And that's why the Blue Letter Bible, a resource free online that I always tell you guys, you gotta go, you gotta study the Bible with Blue Letter, goes on to say, Christ's appearance was changed. His human appearance and was resplendent with divine brightness. Okay, here's what you guys need to know. Here's what did not happen. A heavenly light did not shine down on the prophet or the rabbi or the guru Jesus illuminating him. No way. The light did not come from the outside. The light came from the inside, from inside of him. Jesus showed these men who he really was. Who was Jesus? The eternal son who left the glories of heaven and came to earth being conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Who's Jesus? The eternal son who added a human nature to his divine nature. Who's Jesus? The eternal son who since his incarnation forever has two distinct natures within one person. He's fully God and he's fully man. That's our Jesus. And for 30 years, he clothed his divinity and his humanity. But right now on Mount Hermon, his divinity is shining out of his humanity. And Peter, James, and John had to be doing this. Luke says that they were sleeping, and when they woke up, there's Jesus shining, and they had to cover their eyes. Peter, James, and John. And that's why John later wrote in his gospel this, in the beginning was the logos, the word. That's the eternal son right there, the word. And the word was with God. You guys finish the rest. Say it like you mean it. And the word was God. And then 13 verses later, John writing about the incarnation says this. And the word, the logos, became flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, he took on a human body just like you have a human body, yet without sin. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Look at this, John says, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son, the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. All right, so when did John see his glory? When did John get a glimpse of his glory? On Mount Hermon, when Jesus was transfigured before him and Peter and James when his face shone like the sun, when his clothes flashed like lightning, as John and Peter and James, they looked, they saw the brightness, the resplendent light of the eternal word. Can you imagine this? This is our Jesus. I wanna make a big deal about Jesus because it's not the Jesus of religion, it's not the Jesus that people make up in their mind, it's the Jesus of the word of God. And he was and is fully God and fully man. And if you're grateful and you believe that he is your Lord and your hero, man, put your hands together and let him know this morning. He deserves every bit of this, every bit of it. And so in verse four, it says, and there appeared to them, Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Surprise, surprise. So Peter, James, and John, they first look and they see Jesus transfigured. That shocked them, that surprised them. But now, another surprise, they also see Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus. Moses, if you're brand new to the Bible, the lawgiver. The one that God chose to deliver his people, the children of Israel, from their bondage in Egypt right around 1500, listen to this, BC. 1500 years before where we are now in our Bible. Is standing there with Elijah. Elijah, the mighty prophet who does many miracles, who's taken up in a whirlwind right around 850 BC. And here they are in the first century AD and they're standing with Jesus. What does that tell you? What that tells us is that there's eternal life beyond this temporal life. Moses and Elijah are still alive. How do we know we're gonna live forever, Pastor Mike? Well, there's thousands of examples in the Bible. Here's one. 
Moses, who lived in 1500 BC, is still alive in the first century AD, standing in glory with Jesus. Elijah, who was ministering around 900 to 850 or so BC, is in the first century AD, still standing and alive in glory with Jesus. What were they doing? It says they were talking to Jesus. What were they talking about? Luke tells us what they're talking about. Two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his what? So they're speaking as they're having a conversation there. <laughs> they're speaking about Jesus' suffering, his death, and his resurrection, which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Let's not forget the ascension when Jesus is gonna go back to the Father in heaven. And so what you guys, I wanna remind you guys about is they're talking about his departure here on Mount Hermon, but a week earlier, Jesus tried to talk about his departure, bombshell of a statement, to his disciples. He tried to talk about his suffering and his death. He's like, guys, the son of man's gonna suffer. He's gonna be rejected. He's gonna be killed. He's gonna rise again the third day. And you remember Peter's attitude? Peter didn't wanna hear it. He didn't believe it. Not so, Lord, that's never gonna happen to you. Well, here's Peter now. And he's like listening to the transfigured Christ with Moses and Elijah talk about Jesus suffering again, his death, his resurrection. And I'm wondering what's going on in Peter's mind and heart. You see, if anybody needed to get this doctrine of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, if anybody needed to get it, it was Peter. Because Peter was the leader of the 12. Peter is about to become one of the pillars of the new church that is gonna be born on the day of Pentecost. He needs to get this. Jesus talked about it a week ago. He's talking about it now on the Mount Hermon. He's gonna talk about it again when we continue to go verse by verse through Mark. Peter needs to get it. But based on his comment in verses five and six, we wonder if Peter's getting it yet. Okay, so look at what he says in verse five. Kind of like out of the blue. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. And by the way, again, Luke says they were sleeping, so he's kind of wiping the sleep out of his eyes. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Verse six, for he did not know what to say. Ladies and gentlemen, what should you do when you don't know what to say? <laughs> Everybody look at me. Right there. Peter just, he can't help it. Whatever he's feeling on the inside just blah, blurts out. We saw that last week. It says that at the end of verse six, he did not know what to say for they were terrified. So in his fear, Peter blurts out, uh, Lord, this is great. Rabbi, this is great. Hey, let's make three tents wondering if he's putting Jesus on the same level as Elijah and Moses here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Instead of stopping, thinking, praying, and then responding, he just blurts it out. Now, because we already dealt with this last week, this kind of little point of application, and here we are in the Bible and it's happening again, it makes me wonder if there's anybody in the church family here at Calvary who's got this issue of talking and just saying whatever is inside. And maybe it's getting you in trouble. And maybe you're hurting people's feelings. I wanna encourage you again like I did last week. Before you just say it, especially when you don't know what to say, when you're feeling it and you wanna just blurt it out, here, here you go, stop, think, pray, get filled with the Spirit, <laughs> then respond. Man, if all of us did that in this community, this church community, we would, our light would get a little brighter and people would start to come a little more to the Lord Jesus. And so what did Peter mean by the word tents? Let's make three tents. What did he mean? No doubt he was referring to the booths. 
or the shelters that are associated with the Feast of Tabernacles. All right, so once a year during the Feast of Tabernacles, and if you haven't read the Old Testament, I encourage you to go back and read through it. You'll, you'll, when you read the Old Testament, it makes the New Testament even more meaningful. And so once a year during the Feast of Tabernacles, what would happen is that the Jews would make a pilgrimage wherever they were living around the land, the promised land, they would make a pilgrimage down to Jerusalem. Thousands of them would just come. Tens of thousands would come for the Feast of Tabernacles. And when they got there, because they don't have enough room in their little uh, hotels, well, what they would do is that they would make these, these little booths or shelters, makeshift kind of lean-tos by intertwining branches together all around the city of Jerusalem. And they'd stay in those little shelters underneath the stars for seven days. Feast of Tabernacles. Why would they do that? They did that to celebrate, commemorate, remember that God took care of, provided for their ancient ancestors, the children of Israel, as they lived out under the stars in the wilderness for 40 years. God took care of them. God's gonna take care of me. Hey, kids, come on, stay in the shelter with me. Let's remember God and how he provided for our people way back in 15, 1400 BC. And so it was booths, it was tents, it was these shelters. And so apparently here in the Bible on Mount Hermon, Peter wanted to stay for a while with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah out underneath the stars. And so he's like, hey, Jesus, why don't we make three of these shelters so we can stay here for a while? That's what's going on here in your Bible. But it was an absolutely ridiculous statement. And here's why. Because Moses and Elijah live in the glories of heaven. Why in the world would they ever want to get underneath some tree branches? See, this is what happens when we just blurt out what we're feeling inside, when we don't know what to say. We make ridiculous statements. And so Jesus, let me make some shelters or let us make some shelters. And I always like to study all three accounts as we're going through the gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke, again, the synoptic gospel is very similar. John, very different as far as the events that he covers. But a lot of these stories are in all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke of the gospels. And so when you look at Matthew, Matthew tells us, Mark doesn't tell us this. Matthew tells us that Peter just keeps talking. While Peter's talking, verse seven occurs. All right, so look at verse seven. Try to picture it in your mind. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Hey, Lord, let's make three booths. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, as if they're all equal. And a cloud comes and a voice comes out of the cloud. This is my son. Listen to him. Matthew says, while Peter was still talking, we don't know what he was talking about, but, but maybe he was saying, hey, hey Moses, how, how high do you want this shelter here? Uh, do you want oak or pine branches as I make this thing? We don't know what he's saying, but as he's talking, all of a sudden, here comes this cloud and it envelops them. And God's voice comes from the cloud. Ladies and gentlemen, God had to interrupt Peter. <laughs> I think it's the only place in the Bible, correct me next week if I'm wrong, I think it's the only place in the Bible where God ever has to interrupt somebody. Peter's talking, 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 and God comes and says, this is my son. Okay, so what is the cloud that overshadowed them? Scholars believe it was the Shekinah glory cloud. Ever read Exodus? So you know what I'm talking about. Moses is very familiar with this big, thick Shekinah glory cloud because God sometimes came to Moses, 1500 BC. God sometimes came to Moses in this cloud and would speak to Moses from this cloud. And so Moses is there. He sees the cloud coming. I, I'm wondering if Moses is sitting there thinking, man, this Peter fella better brace himself. God Almighty is about to speak to him. 
Now look again, I really wanna keep emphasizing what God said, God the Father, at the end of verse seven, he said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Can we all say that on the count of three? Okay, so here's what we're gonna say. This is my beloved son, listen to him. Now say it like you mean it, on the count of three, ready? One, two, three, go. Now, I know you can do that a lot better than that. Say it out like you mean it on the count of three. Go ahead, one, two, three. This That's what God the Father says to Peter. And Matthew tells us that when God spoke, Peter, James, and John hit the ground. And so would we if God actually spoke right now with the voice of many waters to us. We would hit the ground, ladies and gentlemen. And so quick recap, Peter, James, John, they're snoring, they wake up, there's Jesus, his face is shining like the sun, his clothes is flashing like lightning, right? They're wiping the sleep out of their eyes and all of a sudden there's Moses, there's Elijah, they're talking about Jesus' death in Jerusalem. Peter doesn't know what to say, he's afraid and he's like, "Uh, Rabbi, this is great, let's build three shelters and he keeps on talking, we don't know what he keeps on saying but then all of a sudden here comes the thick Shekinah glory cloud envelops all six of them and then the voice of God, this is my beloved son, listen to him. I'm wondering if maybe the Shekinah cloud came into a big pointy finger right down at Jesus. (laughs) Peter, you're not getting it. Look, Jesus is my beloved son. Listen to him. Verse eight, they're on the floor and it says, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but who only? So there they are, Peter, James, and John, they're on their faces, right? God just spoke, you know, and they're afraid. And so it's kind of like, I don't know how long it took, but after a while, they're just kind of like peeking over and Moses is gone, Elijah is gone, and Jesus alone is standing there. All right, so if you're with me here, say amen. Don't get anything else, get this. The father's statement, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Followed by the disappearance of Moses and Elijah. Followed by the fact that Christ alone is standing there is very significant. And here's why. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets and both have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Moses, who represents the law, the lawgiver. Elijah, who represents the prophets. They disappeared. Christ alone is standing there. Why? Because the the law and the prophets have been fulfilled in one man and one man only, Jesus. Jesus. Now, I want to illustrate this by telling you a story in Luke 24. You don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you the story. Some of you know it. It's the story of the road to Emmaus. And so on resurrection day, two depressed disciples, one's named Cleopas, we don't know the name of the other, but all they know is Jesus is dead and they're discouraged and they decide to leave Jerusalem and they're walking on a road that leads to Emmaus, the Emmaus road. And what they're doing is they're discussing everything that's just happened in the last three, four, five days, how Jesus suffered and was rejected and died Right? And so they're talking about this and all of a sudden the resurrected Christ, and by the way, if you're new to the Bible, between the resurrection and the ascension is 40 days and Jesus did not straight go up to heaven. He first stayed for 40 days, appearing, disappearing, appearing, disappearing on earth, revealing himself as the resurrected Lord. Then he ascended to the right hand of the Father and the Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. And so one of these appearances is on the road to Emmaus, the resurrected Christ, but he doesn't come like he, we saw him on Mount Hermon, transfigured. He comes disguised as a normal man. And so Cleopas and another disciple, they're depressed, they're walking, and here comes this guy walking and begins to talk with them. Hey, what's up? I'm paraphrasing. 
hey, how you doing? I'm doing, we're doing great. Well, actually, not, we're not doing so great. Well, why not? What's been going on? And Cleopas looks at this guy and says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? You don't know what's going on? You don't know the things that have been going on? And the guy says, what things? And Cleopas and his friend says, the things about Jesus, a prophet mighty before God and before man. And our rulers condemned him to death and handed him over to the Romans and they crucified him. We thought he was gonna be the Messiah, but now we're not so sure. And on top of all of that, some from our number visited his tomb this morning, this very morning, and his body's gone. We don't know what to make out of all of this. And then the guy, Jesus, says this to the two men. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. And I'm just wondering if God's speaking to anybody here, maybe watching on Facebook, you're just slow of heart to believe. Something's got you stuck. Something's got you stopped from going forward with Jesus, giving your life to Jesus, surrendering your will to Jesus. You're just, you're having a hard time believing. And Jesus says, slow of heart to believe all that the, what's the word? Prophets, everybody look at me. They didn't have the New Testament back then. All they had was the, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Okay, and so slow of heart to believe all, it's pretty big, that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should, what's the word? Suffer. He got that from the prophets. Do you see, do you see the link? If you do, say yes. Okay, he got that from the scriptures. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with who? And all the what? The two big divisions of the Old Testament. This is a Bible study right here on the road to Emmaus. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so he's saying, guys, cheer up. Don't you know your Bibles? Don't you know the law? Don't you know the prophets? And what did Jesus do? He showed them from the law. He showed them from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, no doubt keying in on the animal sacrifices. He, the guy on the road to Emmaus, I don't think he had a sack full of scrolls and was pulling open Genesis. He's the word, he just knows it. And he's sharing with them that day from the law how you know, the animal sacrifices had to be one of his many points on this long walk to Emmaus. Man, the animal sacrifice typified Jesus who is the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. And he shows them through this Bible study that Jesus fulfilled the law. And then he goes to the prophets, Isaiah through Malachi at least in our Bibles. And he shows them from the prophets, no doubt Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Daniel 9, the classic passages that talk about the Messiah's suffering, his rejection, his death. He shows them from their own Bible how the Messiah had to suffer and be rejected and had to die. He showed them that Jesus fulfilled the law, and then he showed them that Jesus fulfilled the prophets. What a Bible study that must have been. Can you imagine? Wouldn't it have been great if we could be walking with them? That would have been absolutely amazing to hear the Lord open the scriptures and share these truths. And then they got to wherever they were going and they had dinner and Jesus took the bread, the guy, the disguised guy, took the bread and he blessed it and he prayed over it and broke it, and then all of a sudden their eyes are open, they realize this is not just a guy, this is Jesus alive from the dead, and poof, he vanishes. It's one of those many times, 40 days, he appears and disappears, but then the two men who are no longer depressed, they're happy, they said this, check it out. Did not our hearts burn within us 
while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the what? And so as Jesus taught the scriptures, they understood that he had fulfilled both the law and the prophets and their hearts burned within them confirming that what he said was true. Back to Mount Hermon, the father says to Peter, this is my beloved son. Listen to him and Moses who represents the law disappears and Elijah who represents the prophets disappears, but Christ remains, why? Here's why, because Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. Does this make sense to you guys? Do you see what a big deal this is? And so is it important for us to learn the Old Testament? Yes, absolutely. You should familiarize yourself, read through. You should know absolutely the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, but never forget, ladies and gentlemen, we're not under the old covenant, we're under the new covenant. We're not under law, we're under grace. And the Father is still saying today to local churches all around the world, pointing at Jesus, this is my beloved son, don't get off. Don't lose your focus. Don't make anything else central. Don't make anything or anyone else your hero. He's the foundation, he's the center, he's the answer. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And so this is why I always encourage new believers, hey, when you accept Christ as your savior and you start wanting to follow him, you gotta get into the word. But when you get in the word, I wanna encourage you, do not start in Leviticus. I mean, how many of you guys heard me say that before? Right, I'm telling you, because I've heard people come to me and say, man, I was just going strong and I hit Leviticus and I haven't had my devotions in a while. Okay, you're not a Jew under the old covenant. You're a child of the king, blood bought, and you're a child of the new covenant. And so I wanna encourage you to read through the New Testament first. Read through the gospels, Acts, the epistles, Revelation, which you won't understand, but you can go back and listen to my tapes last year to help you understand. But then read through the, absolutely read through the Old Testament and then the New Testament becomes even more meaningful. And so verse nine, they're coming down the mountaintop experience. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. Okay, and so he's like, guys, I know you just saw me transfigured, <laughs> my divinity shown through my humanity, but don't tell anybody, that's gonna be kind of hard. And you might say, well, why not? Why can't they say, uh, why can't they tell others at this time? Oh, I, I, I shared that last week, so you can go back and listen to last week's message. Verse 10, so they kept the matter to themselves questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. They're, they're still not getting it. Verse 11, and they asked him, well, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? All right, so help me out. Answer out loud. Peter, James, and John, who do they just see on Mount Hermon? Elijah. He's fresh on their minds. And so Jesus, walking down Mount Hermon, why do the scribes, when we were growing up in synagogue, always tell us that, Eli that Elijah's gotta come first before the Messiah? And Jesus answers in verse 12, he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. Okay, Jesus says, guys, the scribes are right. Your teachers are right. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah will come and he'll turn the hearts of the children to the father and the the hearts of the fathers to the children. They're right. But look at the rest of verse 12. Jesus challenges their thinking here. And how is it written of the Son of Man, the Messiah, that he should, what's the word? Can you see how he keeps emphasizing this? How is it written, written where? In the Jewish scriptures. That the Son of Man, the Messiah, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. 
And so what the Lord is doing here, he's saying it's true, Elijah will come first before the Messiah comes to conquer and rule. But guys, what about all the other prophecies in the Bible about the Messiah suffering and dying? What he's saying to them is don't just focus on those, we call it Old Testament, they didn't call it back then, but don't just focus on the prophecies in the Jewish scriptures about the conquering Messiah. I want you guys to look up and focus on the prophecies about his suffering and his death. And so verse 13, last verse, Jesus says, but I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it was written of him. Now, For you who know the Bible, who was Jesus talking about when he said Elijah has come? Yeah, John the Baptist. Jesus said John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, but he was rejected. Even though John came in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord, he was rejected and Herod ultimately chopped off his head. And so here's the bottom line. Please stay with me all the way to the end, okay? Here's the bottom line. We have it made to have this book. (laughs) We have it absolutely made. Do you know why? Because we know very simply when it comes to the Messiah, there's two comings. They didn't get that. Peter, James, and John walking down Mount Hermon, they didn't understand that. They didn't understand like we understand today that before the first coming, the figurative Elijah would come, John the Baptist, but then before the second coming, the literal Elijah will come, one of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. They didn't understand that the first coming of the Messiah was him fulfilling all of the verses about his suffering and his death, Isaiah 53, Daniel 9, Psalm 22, and the second coming was all about him coming, conquering, and ruling over the world. They didn't get that, but we get it. And so I ask you this question. Are you looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Are you? Are you looking forward to it? Are you looking forward to the kingdom of God coming fully in power and glory? I am. We just got a glimpse of it in our study of the transfiguration. Now, Some people, because, you know, human nature is human nature. They struggle and they say, come on, is this really true? Was Jesus really transfigured on a mountain or is this a myth? I'm gonna let Peter answer your question if you're wondering that. You see, 35 years after the transfiguration, Peter's about to die for his faith. And he writes to the Christian community these words. For we did not follow cleverly devised what? He says, ladies and gentlemen, we're not making this stuff up. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, what's the word? Eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, here it is, and the voice, the voice from the cloud was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. What mountain? Mount Hermon. It's true. What motivation? You see, because there's people, skeptics, they say, oh, you know, the apostles got together, they just made it all up. Really? What was Peter's motivation for making this all up? So that he could get a bunch of contributions and become a millionaire and build some condos on the Sea of Galilee? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, they killed him. They, 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 They crucified him upside down, according to church tradition. But we know Jesus said, you're gonna be martyred for your belief in me. He died. What motivation does he have to make it all up? Here's the thing, he didn't make it up. It's true. The eternal Logos did become flesh 
conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He did live a perfect life. Why? He lived, I love when Pastor Will says this in his messages, he lived the life we could never live and he died the death we should have died. You say, why should I die any death? Because you're a sinner like me. And the wages of sin is what? Death. Ladies and gentlemen, we are criminals before a holy God. We've broken his commandments and the wages of sin is death. And we have this physical body that's gonna die, but we have an immortal soul. And if our sins aren't forgiven, that immortal soul will be separated from God. It's called eternal death. But thank God, Jesus came and he lived the life perfectly and died the death, took, taking your punishment in mind. Then he rose again the third day, alive from the grave, proving that he is Lord of all. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the mistake people make. They say, well, yeah, I assent to that in my head. You gotta do more than that. You need to believe it in your heart. You need to trust Christ for yourself. And so maybe you're going down the road, kind of doing your own thing, and you hear this good news about Jesus. Best way you know how, just turn away from your own way to Christ's way. All right, and so see him on the cross. He's shedding his blood. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for your sin. That's how much he loves you. He loves you so much, he's willing to suffer and die so that you can be forgiven by his blood and live forever with him. But you have to personally accept that for yourself. You need to give your life to Jesus. Would you like to come to Jesus? Some of you here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Today's the day for you to make that decision. Others of you are here today, you, you gave your life to Jesus a long time ago, but, but you're so far away from him. Hear his voice, listen, hear his voice. It's not this, it's I love you son. I love you daughter. Come back, I miss you. I want that fellowship again. Follow me. And so if you're here today and you need to come to Jesus, give your life to him, or you need to come back to Jesus and rededicate your life, here's what I know. Christianity is not a disease. We don't hide it. We're not embarrassed. Are we really embarrassed of our hero, Jesus? There are no secret disciples. Our faith is public. And so if you wanna to come to Christ or come back to Christ and rededicate your life, I wanna encourage you to stand to your feet right now, stand and remain standing before the Lord, come to Christ, he'll do the rest. Give your life to him, whoever you are, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet right now. Stand and remain standing. Whoever you are, God bless you, awesome, awesome. Just stand and remain standing, and I know there's more people that need to come to Christ or come back to Christ today. Listen, he'll change your life. He'll absolutely change your life. God bless you in the back. God bless you, awesome. God bless you in the back, mom. Beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. I just wanna wait just for just another few seconds because I know there's a struggle going on. And here's why, because you know, it's kind of fun sometimes to just do your own thing. And the Lord's saying, no, my way's better. Submit your will to his will and let him change your life. So last call before we go to the Lord, just stand to your feet, whoever you are. God bless you all the way in the back. Amen, amen, awesome, amen. Beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful, God bless you, awesome, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, all, all of you who are standing, we absolutely love you. We absolutely love you and we commend you for your courage today. So I just wanna make sure you understand before we go to the Lord in prayer that salvation has nothing to do with us trying to earn heaven with our works. 
Jesus paid it all. It's all of his grace. It's just our decision to personally receive him um, as our savior and Lord. And um, for those of you who are rededicating your life to Christ, I commend you as well. And so what we're gonna do is go to the Lord in prayer. All right, awesome. Yep, beautiful, beautiful. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're gonna go to the Lord in prayer and I'm gonna say the prayer. Please don't repeat words. Words cannot save you. It's your heart talking to Jesus between you and him. So you may wanna say your own prayer in your heart or you can repeat the, the prayer after me as long as you're saying it to Jesus. And so something like this, let's all bow, bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going before the Lord of glory and say, just say, dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I know the penalty of sin is death. I know I deserve death and hell, but I believe you love me and you came to this earth. I believe you died in my place, paying for my sins. Thank you. I believe you rose again the third day right here, right now, I open my heart up. I choose you. I receive you, Jesus, as my savior and as the boss of my life. Thank you for your love. In your name I pray, amen. As these people sit down, can you really encourage them? Put your hands together. Awesome, 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 awesome. Awesome, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so that's, that's the first step. And now the Lord is saying, follow me. Just follow me the rest of your life. So we're gonna help you do that as, as, a, as a local church family. If you choose to make this your church home, we're gonna help you follow Jesus. And uh, the first thing we're gonna do is give you some free resources, including a free Bible. And so Pastor Matt in a moment is gonna come and give you um, some explanation on that. Um, but let me, let me just say to everybody in the church family, okay? We have these invite cards and I wanna encourage you to use them for unchurched people. Don't pull people away from the churches, okay? Um, unchurched people, we all know people that don't go to church anywhere. Ask them to come. Some lady came to me today and said, I invited a friend last week. This person stood up. They said, they said to me before, something's missing. They came to church for the first time. They stood up, received Jesus, and their life is changed. This is what it's about, all right? And so be praying for that friend, neighbor, coworker, family member. Invite him to come. It might take, my brother, by the way, my brother invited me to come to his church for a year, and I said no for a year. So don't give up. Just keep inviting, keep loving, keep showing the love of Christ to them, and let's see what the Lord's gonna do in the future. I love you guys. Pastor Matt, come on out.